sweet light of the valley when the sun falls upon the vine I shall lay down all of my troubles and I lift up this heart of mine Take me home Lord Oh take me Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 7th of May. Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth and the life. And today we'll be looking at the background to that pronouncement and what it might mean for us today. We have short snatches of Frank Sinatra and the trio, Linda Ronstadt, Emily Harris and Dolly Parton, with another song from Carrie Underwood and out of the lockdown sound archives, Rory singing How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. Number of notices, today's on-site service at 10.30 includes a celebration of the Lord's Supper and all are welcome. On Sunday afternoon at 4pm we have church in the cafe when I'll be giving a presentation about the recent Unlock Walk and what we might learn about the diversity of God's church. On Tuesday at 2.30, tea plus chat plus prayer starts up again at the home of Mike and Julia Plant. All are welcome and please let me know if you'd like transport. If anyone is interested in being part of a group that will be leading worship in a few weeks' time, there is a meeting in the cafe at 7.30 on Tuesday evening. Next Saturday, Who Let the Dads Out, our group for dads and their preschool children, meets at 10am. And finally, the church magazine for May is now available from the church or cafe and also online. And now our call to worship, some verses from Psalm 31. O Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me, rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. 
you are my rock and my fortress. For the honour of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favour shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, rescue me. Almighty God, your word has led us here. Your truth has echoed in our minds. 
Your spirit has touched our lives. Your being is within us. You are more than we can see and more than we can know, more than we can comprehend or imagine or wish for. You are ours and we are yours, and together we are your family. To you be all praise and glory. Blessed God, we cannot see and know the depth of your being, but for what we do see and know, we worship and adore you. We find in you protection, guidance and love. We find in you forgiveness, acceptance and repentance. We see in you a way of living that is right and just, loving and caring. We feel the spark of your spirit in the depths of our beings and know you to be true. You search us and know us and are forever with us. Blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, as you are one, may we too be one with you. Holy God, whose perfect nature challenges and changes us, our guilt weighs heavy on our shoulders. It saddens us that we fail you so often, when we fail our families, friends and neighbours, when we fail to recognise need, when we fail to see how we can be the hand that guides, the love that enfolds, the word that strengthens. Forgive us that we deliberately look the other way and avoid the hard challenges to which you call us. Forgive us, O God, for our failings, our deafness and our blindness in reaching out and offering your love. But your love is abundant, your forgiveness unimaginable, O God. May we hear your still small voice that says, My child, my much-loved child, your sins are forgiven, your slate wiped clean, the weight of your guilt removed. Go in peace to love and serve your neighbour. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 14, beginning at the first verse. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The first chapter of the Gospel according to John introduces Jesus to the reader. 
it tells us that God has come amongst us, having been born to a woman. The child, named Jesus, grew to become a man who is the light come into the world. John the Baptist was sent by God to point people towards Jesus, whom John described as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus then went on to gather disciples before the occasion of his first recorded miracle. It was at a wedding that Jesus took water from the stone jars used for ceremonial washing, and he turned it into something new, wonderful wine. It was at that time that Jesus moved from the world of home and family into a ministry conducted in public. Jesus went to Jerusalem for Passover. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, went to the temple where lambs were killed to mark the redemption of God's people. The ministry of Jesus began as it would end at Passover in Jerusalem. From chapter 2 through to the end of chapter 12, Jesus moved openly between his home in Galilee and Jerusalem. He spoke with individuals and with crowds, and he performed miracles. The ministry ended abruptly after Jesus arrived in Jerusalem for the last time. At the end of John chapter 11, where we read about Jesus raising Lazarus, John tells us that this extraordinary event caused the authorities in Jerusalem to make a decision that would lead to Jesus' death. Jesus was to be arrested on sight, and so no longer moved freely in public. However, there was one last act of public defiance. Jesus stopped overnight at Bethany, at the home of Mary, Martha and Lazarus, and much to everyone's shock, Mary washed the feet of Jesus with expensive perfume and dried him with her hair. The next day, Jesus joined the crowds going up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Some of the people heard that Jesus was coming and they rushed out to welcome him as God's Messiah. If the authorities were looking to have Jesus put away, this made them even more determined because a messianic coup was the very last thing they needed. So having arrived in Jerusalem, Jesus took a room and spent the time there with his disciples. At the pre-Passover meal that Jesus shared with the disciples, Jesus took on the role of a servant and wash the feet of the disciples. It's easy to fall into a trap and not make the obvious connection between what Jesus did to his disciples and what Mary had done to Jesus just a day or two earlier. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, it was an act of servanthood. When Mary did this to Jesus, it was an act of worship. In these two acts, we see that worship and servanthood come together. In becoming a servant, we are worshipping Jesus. This is not just about relationship with one another. It has the added dimension of being about our relationship with God. The meal didn't end with Judas running out to do what he had to do and with Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Jesus continued to talk to his friends about the past, the present and the future. This section, chapters 14 to 17, is sometimes known as the farewell discourse. 
the idea of a leader gathering his people and addressing them before he was about to leave them would have been familiar to John's first readers. Jewish readers especially would have made the connection between what Jesus was saying and the whole of the book of Deuteronomy. This Old Testament book gives the account of Moses' last words to the people who were about to enter the land that God had promised to Abraham. Moses knew that he would not get there himself because God had punished him for an earlier act of disobedience by allowing him therefore to see the land but not set foot in it. Moses affirmed that his people were God's people, God's chosen people. He addressed their need for consolation for their loss, encouraged them in their struggle against their enemies and he gave advice with regard to how they should live with one another. And all of these elements can be found in what Jesus said to his disciples. John tells us that his words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The way that this reads, John's intention is that his book is an evangelistic tool, in that he's recorded the words and deeds of Jesus in order that those who had not believed might come to faith. However, the tense of the words that Jesus uses is ambiguous and could equally mean but these things are written that you might go on believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There's no reason to think that John's book couldn't do both, evangelise and support the faithful. But it is a reminder that John was writing when Christians were under pressure. These Christians who were facing persecution by both Gentiles and Jews needed the encouragement of the reminder that Jesus had said that this would happen, but that they would endure. Now let's take a short break and listen to some music. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived A life that's full I traveled each And every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way That was a snatch of Frank Sinatra singing My Way, his signature song. Now I can assure you that my playing this song has nothing to do with my impending retirement because, as I'm sure I must have told you before, my Way is probably my least favourite song. And the reason is the words. I've often been asked by funeral mourners if they could have this played at a funeral. And I can understand why people want it. It fits with that Dylan Thomas poem that starts, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. My Way can be seen as the last defiant act in this life. I may have left this life, but I lived it my way. But it seems to me that this is a song that speaks of the very opposite of servanthood, 
the very opposite of laying down one's life for one's friends. In short, it's not a song that I could imagine Jesus singing. Jesus had already described to the disciples how he would be leaving them and that they would not be able to follow where he was going. Peter, something like the disciples' shop steward, wanted to know why they couldn't go with him as he was prepared to follow Jesus even if it ended in death. But Jesus pulled the rug out from underneath Peter by prophesying that before the night was over, Peter would have disowned Jesus on three separate occasions. If this was what Peter would be like, Jesus knew that the others would also be broken men after he'd gone. Do not let your hearts be troubled, says Jesus, who himself had had his fair share of upset. He had been troubled when he witnessed the mourning at the tomb of Lazarus. He'd been troubled when facing the reality of the cross, and he had been troubled when contemplating Judas's betrayal. The disciples would be troubled when they lost him, but Jesus had himself known such troubles of the heart. Jesus was saying, I know what it's like to lose someone, but you must keep on believing in me. In my father's house, said Jesus, there are many rooms. The words that we translate now as rooms or dwelling places has had an interesting history. Some of you will have grown up with the idea of many mansions. Older German Christians will have grown up with a word that now has the meaning apartments. The word that Jesus used had the idea of a permanent place of residence. In other words, a home. There is a link here to a passage earlier in John's book, John 8.35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. The place that Jesus has prepared for us is a forever home. It is a place that is safe and where nothing can harm us. Jesus assumed that the disciples knew where he was going, but this was surely just a conversational gambit, as he must have known that it wasn't safe to assume that this bunch knew anything. Thomas was first to put his head above the parapet and said that because they didn't know where Jesus was going, they wouldn't know how to get there, which of course has a certain logic to it. Jesus' response was to tell them that he himself is the way. Jesus is the way because he is both the truth of God and because the life of God dwells in him. If you want to get to my father's house, says Jesus, you have to come with me. In the multi-faith environment in which we now live, it is not as easy as it once was to proclaim that Jesus is the way. Perhaps this is an issue of sensitivity, but there's also the issue of objective fact. Perhaps we might agree that it's not a good idea to shout in the faces of people of other faiths that Jesus is the way. However, that doesn't stop us believing it. Neither does it stop us believing that Mr. and Mrs. Mohammed, that stereotypical nice Muslim couple who run the news agents and go out of their way to be helpful, will not get to heaven. However, I have a sneaking feeling that if, by God's grace, we meet in heaven, we might be surprised who else we find there, including Mr. and Mrs. Mohammed. What we do know is that whoever gets to heaven, they get there by God's grace. And what we also know is that they will have got there through Jesus, because Jesus is the way. 
At the end of a funeral I once attended as a mourner, the vicar gave instructions so the large crowd, many of whom were standing, could exit safely. Those who were standing should leave first, then those sitting in the choir, then those in the nave, and finally the family at the front. He said not to worry if we forget the instructions, and then he said this, which I wrote down at the time. It doesn't matter if we go in different directions, we'll all end up in the same place. Well, is that how it works? Does it really not matter if we all go in different directions, because we'll all end up in the same place? I don't believe that it does work like this. I believe in the uniqueness of Christianity, because I believe that Jesus is the way. Christianity is the only faith that proclaims Jesus to be the way, and I believe that it's therefore important that Christian people proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I've already suggested, it doesn't necessarily follow that only Christians get to heaven. However, it does mean that not all religions are equally valid, nor are they all equally in possession of the truth. Does this make Christianity arrogant? Does this make Christians arrogant? It shouldn't, but it often does. Christians should take their lead from Jesus. He was not arrogant, taking the role of a servant and modelling for us what it means to live in relationship with one another and in obedience to God. Jesus didn't instruct that we should fight crusades in which people were dragged, kicking and screaming, into God's kingdom. He commanded his disciples to love one another, in order that people might see God. That funeral service I mentioned was more than 14 years ago, but it was a memorable occasion. One special moment was when two young women sang a song. They sang unaccompanied, a soprano and an alto. They didn't perform the song, they just sang. They sang it with no ornamentation or artifice. Their pure voices accented with the vowel sounds of the Caribbean, rising into the rafters of the old church. I didn't know the song, but looked it up when I got home, and it's now one of my favourites. It's a southern gospel song, written in 1911. It's called Father Along. Yeah.
it seems to me that this song articulates the hope that Jesus presents in these final words to his disciples. While the road may be hard now, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Farther along, we shall know all about it, and all our whys and hows will be answered. As for now, we are to live the life that God has given us, for we can live no other. But there will come a time when he will come and take us home with him. I played a bit of Frank Sinatra earlier, and I'll finish with him too. Sinatra famously took a very long time to say goodbye. Jesus' farewell discourse is spread over four chapters of the New Testament. Sinatra's own farewell discourse was spread over almost 24 years. Having announced his retirement in 1971, Frank kept coming back until he gave his final performance before an invited audience in 1995, three years before he died. A reviewer wrote that he gave an accomplished performance that night, despite his 79 years. One might have expected that he would have ended with My Way, but he didn't. He ended with a song whose words and tune are, in my humble opinion, fairly forgettable. But it is the title of the song that was so striking for the last occasion that such a great singer would open his mouth to sing in public. The song was called The Best Is Yet To Come. And that's the same message that Jesus communicated to his disciples on that night in Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was to come, and by that time the disciples must have had some inkling from the way that Jesus was talking that something was going to happen. But, Jesus said, they must continue to trust in God and continue to trust in him as he is the way to God. Having left them, he would come again and he would sweep them through that beautiful gate to the place to which he'd gone because there we shall find our home and our destiny and only there by and by will we understand it all amen
This is the line in my father's house. In my father's house. In my father's house. Jesus is the line in my father's house. Where there's joy, joy, joy. Come and go with me to my father's house. To my father's house. To my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. Where there's joy, joy, joy. Come and go with me to my father's house, to my father's house, to my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house, where there's joy, joy, joy. Let us pray. Lord, you say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. So, Lord, we bring before you what is on our hearts today. We ask for your hand on the situation in Sudan and on all those trying to flee. May you give them strength and courage. Travel alongside, speaking to their hearts as you lead them to safety. We pray too for all those trapped in their homes, unable to venture out safely, unable to even go out for provisions. Provide for their needs, Lord, physical and spiritual. Keep them safe. We pray for an end to all conflict in Sudan and in Ukraine and other places around our world. Have mercy on all living amid danger. Bring peace to your world. We bring before you, Lord, our struggling health service. We ask that the strikes be resolved, enabling postponed appointments and procedures to go ahead before situations worsen and put even greater strain on the NHS. Resolve issues, Lord, so that all will find their needs met and lives saved. May your hand be on all who are ill. 
In a moment's quiet, we bring those we know personally who are in need of your hand upon them. Touch them with your healing hand. Lord God, the coronation of King Charles III brings in a new era. During the coronation, we saw old symbolic traditions mingled with the new such as the three ancient swords of mercy, temporal justice and spiritual justice carried in the coronation procession and the newly commissioned anointing screen. May the king be aware of your anointing upon him from this day forward. The king has taken his seat on the ancestral throne and the weight of the crown upon his head. We pray, Lord, that from your heavenly throne, you will help our king carry the weight of all that is put upon him in his role as our monarch. His mother, our late Queen Elizabeth, reigned with honour, wisdom and integrity. Her heart was yours, and we pray that the king's will be yours too as he reigns over us. May he listen, draw strength and be guided by you always. We pray for Queen Camilla, that you will strengthen and encourage her as she supports the king. We pray also that she be filled with your Holy Spirit, as represented by the dove on the rod used in her coronation. We pray for all the royal family, that each may look to you, Lord. Lord, may we represent you and always show your love. We lift our hearts to you, offering our prayer and asking in your holy name that your will be done. As communities gather this weekend with celebratory picnics and lunches, Lord, we pray that you will be represented throughout. We pray that you will unite communities as new friendships are forged and old ones rekindled over the sharing of food. Lord, may we represent you and always show your love. Help us as a church to represent you, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. May your church bring glory to your name by trusting and following the family traits of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We lift our hearts to you, offering our prayer and asking in your holy name that your will be done. Amen.
But when I see you as you are, I'll praise you as I ought. Till then I would your love proclaim with every fleeting breath, and may the music of your name refresh my soul in death. Our last song speaks of the difference between the life we have now and the life that we will know with God. It's sung by Carrie Underwood and called Temporary Home. But first, a final prayer. Send us out, Lord, into your world. Draw us closer to yourself by your Spirit so that others may see your presence in us, in all we do and say and are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Little boy, six years old, a little too used to being alone. Another new mom and dad Another school, another house That'll never be home When people ask him How he likes this place He looks up and says With a smile upon his face This is my temporary home It's not where I
with people he loves And he whispers, don't cry for me I'll see you all someday He looks up and says I can see God's face This is my temporary home It's not where I belong Windows and rooms That I'm passing through this was just a stop on the way to where I'm going. I'm not afraid because I know this was my temper.